So this was a topic that when we started the podcast, I really wanted to do at some point. And then when I was doing research, I was like, oh, I wonder if this was something that Audra participated in and she can bring like a level of insight or maybe not. Or I don't know, like maybe it'll be a touchy thing. We'll see. Can I guess? Yeah. Is it sororities? Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) When you said participated in, I was like, what's like a thing that I participated in, but like choose not to think about actively? (laughs) I was like, I'm not sure. Because I I was researching and I was like, oh, I'm so excited to get into this. And then I was like, wait, what if she was in a sorority and is going to be like, what? (laughs) Oh, oh, I can't wait. Like, give it to me. Give me all the tea. So were you in a sorority? Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. No, this is great because I was not and you were. And so you can also tell me your experience to the extent that you feel comfortable revisiting it and maybe disprove some things or confirm some things. So usually I would ask like, what do you know about this? But clearly you probably have more information than I do, but maybe a little blurb of where you stand right now and what you think about general Greek life. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So For context, I was in Kappa Kappa Gamma at Georgetown. They all sound exactly the same to me. They Oh, they're, I mean, they may as well be. And I was actually the education chair for a year. So I was on the council or the board. I forget what it was called. Um, But I was like slated as the education chair. And then I also, my little became president And I was on the nominating committee to, like, nominate people the year after I was on the council where I was like, oh, I really think this person could be a great philanthropy chair. Mm -hmm. So I was, like, relatively involved. But at Georgetown, Greek life is not really a thing. There's maybe a handful of people who join it. There are two sororities that I know of, two fraternities that I know of. So a very small percentage of the student population is in it. And there are no houses. So while I was involved... Compared to other people in my actual chapter, I was less involved, I think, than the average person in sororities. It was an interesting mix. But I think there are like definite pros and cons in terms of having a network and having a set of resources that can help you pre-professionally or just, I don't know, figure out what to do on campus and where to live. And like people would pass down sort of their... Like, they're subletting leases that, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, all of those little things were Mm -hmm. really helpful, but you also have to pay to be a part of it, and that was really, the costs were really prohibitive. So I think I just have a lot of mixed feelings about the pros and the cons, and also how worth it it is. Yeah. I'm sure it's a very different experience being in a sorority or a fraternity at a school where it's not a huge thing. Yeah. Like at my school, it was also not a thing. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't feel any pressure to join like, oh, I'm not going to have friends if I don't. But then there are certain schools where it's like, you're a weirdo if you're not a part of it. And so I'm curious if you feel comfortable sharing, like what was when you got there? Did you join freshman year or sophomore year? I joined the second semester of my first year of college. Yeah. And I think the reason I did it was because I wasn't loving Georgetown, Mm. but I had loved a lot of my, like, all-women spaces in high school. Like, a lot of the, like, varsity teams that I was on felt really tight-knit, and team dinners, and drives to races, and everything like that, I really missed. So, I think I was 
hoping for that very like tight-knit all-women space and that's kind of why I joined it's just it's such a different beast when I mean sports are expensive equipment is expensive but it's it feels different when you're like suddenly people are chasing you down for checks too do you are you still paying dues like the lifelong dues um I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I I like literally have no idea (laughs) I I'm very bad about checking my credit card statement, so, like, I very well could be. I have no idea. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I should log in to my account and figure out. And just double check what's happening. I became an alum in good standing. I, But that's, like, really the extent to which I'm aware of my current status. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, I guess I knew only anecdotally certain things about sororities and fraternities. We're going to talk about both. I was never a part of one, nor did I have a lot of interest in joining one. I'm sure that would have been different maybe if I went to a school where it really mattered. So I started from very basic knowledge of, okay, let me figure out where did this come from? Mm -hmm. Why do these things exist? What's the benefit? What's the cost? And I think since I wasn't involved, a lot of what I knew was just the horror stories that would come up on the news. Like, obviously, it's not going to be... an article in the New York Times of like all the benefits of being a sorority girl, you know? Um, So I only heard about the horrible things that happen in hazing and deaths and all this stuff. So I just wanted to figure out, I guess, like why do they exist in the U S do they exist in other places? And they're definitely most prominent in the U S but there are, there is like some semblance of Greek life in Canada and the Philippines. And then there are similar structures in a couple European countries, but it's really a U.S phenomenon Mm -hmm. like social student organizations existed for centuries in europe but by the time that there were colleges in the u.s colonies they were virtually non-existent in europe so like the development Mm -hmm. of fraternities and sororities in the u.s are really an american institution and the first greek letter fraternity phi beta kappa was founded at the college of william and mary in 1776 right around the american revolution wow that's that's a little earlier than i was expecting yeah like right in the thick of things, right at the beginning of America. And presumably this is all men, right? I can't imagine women are at William and Mary at the time. (laughs) No, the first sororities weren't established until the mid to late 1800s, so like a century later. And William and Mary was the second, is the second oldest college after Harvard in the U.S. So it's a very like old Mm. when it comes to the U.S. in terms of old. (laughs) Um, Right. And it's (laughs) relatively old. Yeah. And it started as a secret society kind of in a political lens because it was around the revolution. And so it was a space for students to talk about how they felt and their political opinions and things that maybe Mm. weren't, that were a little more taboo to talk about in the college landscape. So it was a secret society and to protect its members, they had an oath of secrecy, a badge or a key, mottos in Greek, an initiation process, and a handshake. So like all these levels of this is our club. Mm Mm-hmm. And now sororities and fraternities, you can pretty much find them almost on any undergraduate college campus. And they, there is this alumni network afterwards. So you're really participate. Once you kind of become part of this, unless you actively leave, you're really involved for life. Yeah. And there are definitely variances in the traits between different fraternities and sororities but there are some common traits where there is some level of secrecy it's no longer like a secret society but maybe a little bit of secrecy of what might be the inner workings of the group or a little bit of a defense like we are a community 
And if there's a problem internally, we're not going to showcase that to the outside world. Mm. So beyond just like the ritualistic secrecy, also just sort of like, we don't want any kind of like PR slandering us. We'll figure this shit out ourselves. We don't want, we need to avoid bad press. (laughs) Right. They were actually at um, Kappa. We had really strict rules for what we were allowed as individuals to post on social media. Wow. And we had this Instagram account where it was, I can't remember what it was called. It was like named after one of our founders Mm -hmm. so like let's just say it was like Eleanor right Mm -hmm. like it was like Eleanor's Instagram and if they liked if Eleanor liked your photo which was run at the time by the social media chair or whoever I don't remember if they liked your photo you had to take it down within 24 hours or you'd be called in oh my god Like, they were very, very strict, and it was kind of under this guise of, well, we're trying to do you a favor, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think something that happened at the beginning of social media's popularity was that jobs would kind of troll you and backstock you Mm -hmm. and find reasons not to hire you, but I kind of think that's not a thing anymore because people realize that in the same way before social media, people had private lives. Now people have private lives, and it's it that has no bearing on how you work, but... Mm-hmm. they were pretty controlling about it. You had 24 hours to take it down or you'd be called in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened after that point because I never waited long enough. Yeah. But yeah, that, yeah, I feel is like in keeping with not wanting sort of negative images externally and dealing with all your shit internally and yeah. figuring that out without outsiders really knowing about it. And I think framing it as doing you a favor for future job prospects sounds much more sisterhoody than we want to control how we're represented. I feel like would sound much more like an attack or some, or mm-hmm. if somebody would get more defensive about that rather than like, Oh my gosh, they're looking out for me. Right. I should do what they say. So I think that's kind of what I mean by secrecy in terms of maybe what with the level of control that might be going on behind the scenes and possible manipulation. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. There's also always pretty much, I mean, there are certain fraternities that are co-ed, but generally there's a separation along the gender binary. Mm-hmm. There's a vetting process for new members, the rushing and pledging process. And usually this is the stage where we hear about the crazy hazing stories, but mm-hmm. more on that later. Most have shared living spaces on campus, but not everyone can live in the house, like the house when you think of a frat house or a sorority house, because it's just a house. And if you are at a college with like 100 plus people in a chapter, obviously not everyone can live there. Right. But there is some element of some people living together, sharing rooms, sharing common spaces. And then there are sets of symbols to identify members, the Greek letters, but also potentially like passwords or code language or hand signs or different things that distinguish members of a sorority or fraternity from non-Greek life people. And in terms of what they offer, you touched on this a little bit. A major component seems to be philanthropy. There's a lot of community service involved Mm -hmm. and like raising money for causes. I did read a lot that a portion of that money does go to, and a portion of the dues goes to like the overall governing body of the national establishment of a sorority or fraternity that then is kind of separated into chapters at each university. It offers a community of brotherhood or sisterhood to belong to, especially if you're, you know, 18 years old and it's your first time leaving home, being on your own. You might not have anyone from your school that's going to the university that you're going to. It's hard to make new friends. And it's like all of your vulnerabilities and insecurities are happening at the same time like you have no support system you're new to in a space like 
you're kind of an adult. Mm-hmm. It's very enticing to want to join like a built in family. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, now I have friends. I have a place to live. I have a network. I have people done. Right. And it's not as easy to like strike up a conversation with the, the kid next to you in class because you might be in the lecture hall of a thousand people. It's, it's just, it feels like you're crossing paths with way more people than normal. And it's harder to find that like right size community to try and integrate with. Totally. And even if you did strike up a conversation with, if you were super outgoing and you talked to everyone in your class and every time you sat next to a new student, you were talking to them. <laughs> Could not be me. <laughs> like, first of all, that's probably not everyone. And second of all, it's still a lot of people and you most likely won't like everyone you meet. And so if you've already sort of filtered a group of like-minded women or like-minded men and you're already part of this club, right? you kind of have a starting ground of, of things that you have in common right? that makes it easier to build a relationship. Right. And I feel like I grew up very much romanticizing the sitcom Friends. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted that just like that group, that like default go-to group where you walk into an apartment and the five other people there are just people that you can hang out with all at the same time. Whereas like striking up with someone from Calc and someone from Stats and then someone from Spanish, like you might have individual dispersed constellation of friends, but you don't necessarily have that group. So maybe that's part of the draw too, or I think probably is part of what drew me to wanting a sisterhood. (laughs) Totally. And a lot of people say that their friendships that they build in Greek life are lifelong friendships and that they're, it's like the best experience ever. So I totally get that. And especially if you're at a school where it really matters and it gives you clout to go to parties and get invited to things, Mm -hmm. that's important currency as an 18 to 22 year old where your whole world is the four years of college. And if you go to a school where you're kind of told if you aren't in Greek life or don't know people in Greek life, you're not really going to have friends. That's four years of struggling socially. That's not fun. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and it's sort of like because of that, I feel like you end up getting involved sooner rather than later. Yeah. Like, it feels like, okay, I need to rush in the very beginning. And then it kind of, I don't know, ends up taking over. Mm-hmm. And then there is the network element, like you mentioned. If you are in this lifelong membership This isn't just, oh, four years, I'll have some friends. It's like, no, after that, you are part of this alumni network of not just people that went to your school, but of other chapters at other schools of your same sorority or fraternity. And that could potentially be very beneficial to you in your job search, in moving somewhere. So it's like a lifelong community that you can tap into for a lot of things. So yeah. There was someone in my chapter who had basically, I think, become certified as a personal trainer and a nutritionist and was working on a book and also had just received a scholarship from Georgetown to try and build an app that would, I guess, sort of like help guide people in their health journey. Something that I actually now have a lot of beef with that I wasn't (laughs) um, quite as educated about at the time, but she was working on that. And one thing she did to promote her little business was reach out to Kappa chapters across the entire country and travel to them. And like on Sundays, everyone has a chapter meeting with the entire organization or not organization, but the chapter at that school. And so hundreds of girls, like she's getting hundreds of girls to pay attention to her presentation and possibly download this app or buy Mm -hmm. her book. So that's how she kind of began her own little like campaign is through Kappa. And I'm sure that the 
camaraderie of that sort of alumni network versus a just general Georgetown network is much more likely to participate in one of my sister's app versus Mm -hmm. some rando I've never met that went to the college I went to Mm -hmm. 20 years after me. I don't care. Right. It's like she knows the passwords. Like we're the same. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So starting out with a little bit of criticisms of the culture that I was reading about. Let's hear it. Yes. So there was a video in 2016 that went viral. Um, This girl, Alex Purdy, that went to Syracuse University. And she was sort of talking about, you know, the hidden world of sororities, what they don't tell you kind of thing. And as you mentioned, there's this like big little structure of Mm -hmm. more upperclassmen girls sort of being a mentor to a newcomer and maybe do like nice things for them and sometimes that involves like a welcome basket or whatever and this girl was mentioning that they would put hydroxy cut which is a weight loss pill in the littles welcome baskets are you (laughs) kidding me yeah yeah and she was saying that like a, a lot of her criticism of her experience at her sorority at syracuse was this immense pressure on girls bodies and how they looked, how they dressed, a lot of body shaming, literally giving you weight loss pills as a freshman by like a, a junior girl or a senior girl. I would unravel. I would unravel like, at the can you imagine? if someone did that to me. Yeah. Like I, if, if someone that's supposed to be close to me, you're supposed to be a friend. Oh my God. I would unravel. Yeah. And in the same way with the Instagram post, if they're framing it as I'm looking out for you. I want you to be your best self rather than I think you are ugly. Fix it. You know, you might be like, oh, my gosh, well, this is what it means to be part of this group. And they care Uh, about me and they just want me to be better. And since our society does frame thinness with being better and more successful, more beautiful, more virtuous, super Mm -hmm. easy, super easy to internalize that. Yeah, I've heard of Um, people during rush or like what we now call. As Kappa recruitment. Oh. Um, probably because of, you know, the bad PR. <laughs> um, pivot, pivot, pivot. <laughs> yeah, we don't call them pledges anymore. We call them new members. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when they're rushing, they're potential new members, PNMs. But I've heard of when sororities are recruiting potential new members, mm-hmm. they put in the kitchen the heavier set girls, which I would have been in. I would have been put in the kitchen. And then they put the thin, pretty people out front to greet the potential new members and be visible wow. and like, basically hide the girls who aren't aesthetic <laughs> enough or pretty enough. Mm-hmm. There was another, I watched a crap ton of YouTube videos <laughs> um, <laughs> of just girls and guys talking about their experience, positive and negative. And there was one girl who was mentioning that once she was in her sorority, she wanted to be part of recruitment. Cause I guess it's well seen to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And there was like, a hundred different ways that you could be put into the recruitment process. And some girls would be like 30 to 40 times in those situations. And she only got to recruit twice and that they would keep the girls that were heavier in the basement and they would just hang out in the basement for hours on end while they did recruitment upstairs and they wouldn't let them recruit and they would let them to do like one or two. So it's not like we didn't let you do anything, but most of the time we're only going to have the conventionally attractive girls because that's what we're trying to represent. And that's, what's going to entice people to join our group, <laughs> which is insane. It's yeah. insane. fucking insane. And at yeah. Kappa, that also meant like primarily white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I cap a Georgetown, I should mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm. I don't know about other chapters, 
Like, yeah. I know we were talking earlier about resources, but this just came back to me. They do provide nationals or headquarters or whatever it's called, provides some job resources that you can, like, log into your little account and, like, download or whatever. And one of them was about interviewing. And first and foremost, it was, like, you need to wear a suit. Like, people who wear skirts, like, don't get interviews. And I was like, what is this? Because <laughs> Greek life reinforces the worst of the gender binary and... Mm. we have to wear dresses during recruitment or whatever but now it's like oh like don't forget that the feminine is completely devalued in corporate america (laughs) but also one thing that i caught was like make sure to wear light colored tights like it was i think the suggestion was like to wear skin tone tights but they they the however they clarified it it was like they need to be light like you can't wear black tights if you're gonna wear a skirt you have to at least wear light tights and i was like not everyone's fucking light skin. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just those things that clearly no one at nationals or headquarters is non-white. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's also such confusing messaging of, in this process of being part of a sorority, you need to dress like this. And then we're just quickly (laughs) going to turn it around. Now you're never allowed to dress like that. And you're like, wait, I'm sorry. What's going on here? It's like they're very much subtly nodding to the fact that femininity has currency only in certain places and that's socially at least in terms of a sorority but definitely not professionally Uh, well (laughs) on that same note this girl was also mentioning that they would tell their sisters to dress quote-unquote sluttier at formals so that the guys would like them more i know (laughs) listeners can't see my face I am slack John for those who can't see. <laughs> it's just comical, almost. Like, really? We're still on this? It's also so hetero. Like, why? Why? So boring. <laughs> so boring! Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say something like... Because my little sister was in a sorority, and, and she bought a new dress for recruitment, and they were like, that's the wrong shade of blue. So she was like, okay. Like, What's the right <laughs> shade of blue? <laughs> I thought that's where you were going to go with the dress. That's but such I a guess... devil wears Prada moment. <laughs> Wrong oh, shade yeah. of blue. Yeah. <laughs> the other girl that mentioned being in the basement said that you have to kind of dress slutty or whatever in certain moments. But if in the rushing process you seem slutty, that's like a no-go. Uh-uh. We don't want that energy here. But later we're going to sort of coerce you into putting your femininity more to the forefront if it means that this sorority gets invited to this fraternity's party because we have all the hot girls. Oh, yeah. Want to be slutty sometimes, but can't be slutty when you're rushing. No, no, no. Is there no rule book where you're allowed to be slutty and where you're not? I would love that. A nice handbook. I would love that, but (laughs) let me just say it would probably be incredibly convoluted. (laughs) It'd be like on a Wednesday if it's sunny (laughs) and... Like, all all these other factors and conditions are met. Then you can be slutty. (laughs) When the wind hits at this angle. When Eleanor is not watching. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember when we were recruiting PNMs, potential new members, we had some acronym of, like, things we weren't allowed to talk about. And one of them was religion. Mm -hmm. And so a friend of mine at Emory got written up during recruitment because she asked someone... If they knew some mutual classmate, like, oh, do you know him? He's in a Jewish fraternity. And so she got written up because she brought up religion. Um, Another thing that you're not allowed to bring up is boys, which, again, super hetero, right? 
And if they bring up boys, you're supposed to quickly pivot. If they bring up parties, you're supposed to quickly pivot. And when I was on, I think it's called Chapter Council. It's coming all back to me now. <laughs> it's coming screaming back. But when I was on CC, I remember being like, can we like change this to be like, like romance? If like, that's the problem. Like, are we not wanting to talk about our love lives? And I think it just wouldn't work with acronyms. So I was kind of like dismissed. But so basically my point, I guess, in bringing up what we weren't allowed to talk about is that's also exactly to your point, what would be a red flag if the girl, the PNM brought up, right? So if they start talking about like, oh, do you party? Or, oh, like, I don't know. Are you involved with boys? However, they would organically bring up boys Mm -hmm. in whatever capacity. Then we are put in the position of awkwardly having to pivot the conversation and not answering them or we'll get written up or whatever it is. But then when later we're scoring all of them to decide if they're going to get in, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, like she really talks about this. Like, mm. but it's like, th- this is, this is the thing is there's no transparency there. It's not like ahead of time they're briefed. Like, hey, like something yeah. that's important to us is just like to focus on X, Y, and Z. We care about extracurriculars. We care about philanthropy. Like we care about this, that, and the other <laughs> Arts and crafts, whatever it is that they could possibly fucking care about that isn't politics. Mm-hmm. It's not like that was made obvious to them. So mm-hmm. it's like they're they're taking a test they don't even know they're taking, which kind of sucks. And then we score them on that. Oh, God. It's funny that you mention all those things because one video was mentioning exactly that. And I was wondering, oh, is this just her experience or is this how most of them work? But she said, if in the interview process, you bring up politics, religion, parties boys big fat no yeah okay all of those things are very reasonable things to want to explore in college as you like build your identity as an adult like wait I'm not allowed to have a political opinion what if I have had a religion my whole life that's not okay here I want to know if there's like fun social things to do on campus not allowed I'm not allowed to talk about boys if I like boys with all these girls what the fuck like i know and i was gonna say ellie you and i are friends specifically because of how political we are Mm -hmm. i mean i think the first time we like properly hung out after obviously watching the incredibles which yeah um, i mean bonding experience (laughs) had to happen but the next time we hung out was when we watched one of the initial debates yeah at my apartment and my Mm -hmm. air conditioning was broken and we were in my bed watching a presidential debate and talking about it and talking about our qualms with the people and Mm -hmm. the politicking. And then I think, I don't know, I think our relationship blossomed from there and we've always been very political. And that's something that's really valuable to me. I agree. And I think that that desire to have someone be a blank slate and have no real opinions, Mm -hmm. something we'll talk about a little bit later, but it sparks a little bit of worry for me red flags little red flags are coming up and that video that i was mentioning of this girl talking about the weight loss pills and everything it went viral and there was a bunch of backlash from other sororities and so they started all these little campaigns like at ohio university the delta gamma chapter they put out a picture or sorry a series of pictures with quotes that said things like society says we marry lawyers but i'm gonna be one Ew. <laughs> hashtag girl boss exactly hashtag gaslight gatekeep girl boss exactly and then university of louisville posted one that said people say greek life is insular but my best friend is not in greek life i'm like oh good for you let me just <laughs> clap for you 
Yeah, what do you want, a trophy? Like, okay. (laughs) It just doesn't even match up with what this girl is saying. Like, this girl's also in a sorority. And she left. Right. It, It feels a little bit like, oh, I left the group. So now I'm completely ostracized. Even though I gave a lot of time to this group, there's no room for grace or empathy of why did you have a terrible experience? What can we do better? We don't want people to feel that they have to leave this group. Like, can we not have solidarity across the country with other sororities? And rather than just throwing these weird criticisms at her, it's not somebody who's never been involved. Like she was there and she saw this stuff that really didn't align with her values And I think the shunning process is another red flag coming up. It's like, well, I mean, it's very culty. If you're not letting people criticize, that is a red flag. Like, and like you just said, there should be room for people to criticize. If you actually have these girls best interest in mind, Mm -hmm. then theoretically you would care if they say, look, I had a horrible experience and was given fucking diet pills before I was even one foot in the door yeah and that was incredibly traumatizing and i was in therapy about it for weeks and i felt manipulated or whatever and i was hidden in a basement and only nominally given the opportunity to recruit and that upset me if you have their best interest in mind you would honor that and you would take that seriously and you would Mm -hmm. say this is a huge concern we want to talk to other members of your pledge class or other members of this organization and this chapter, maybe other chapters, see if people are feeling the same way. Like if you cared about them, Mm -hmm. you would be able to be criticized. But when you make yourself uncriticizable and try and squash the negative PR or launch apparently like Instagram campaigns with Mm -hmm. stupid anecdotal evidence to the contrary, which is so meaningless. Mm -hmm. But if you do that, it's like, it's so transparent that like you're just out here playing defense. You're not actually being introspective yeah if you had nothing to hide you would hold up to criticism yeah it it, it seems like there's this fear that if there's any critique of greek life the whole thing is going to shatter so we need to be very defensive we need to fight back we can't be like oh hold up i feel very confident in the ethics of our organization would love to hear how you struggled right um and there was another video of a girl at university of alabama talking about a couple reasons why you might not make it into the sorority of your choice besides the ones that we talked about of like, if you mentioned these things, which she did not mention that because she seems like a very gung ho sorority person. So it seemed like she didn't want to be too controversial. Like you're not allowed to be religious. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) But she mentioned some things that were very elitist and a lot of nepotism that if you don't have a recommendation letter from like an alumni or something at big universities where a lot of people are rushing, that could really hurt you because you're, you're not standing out from the crowd because you've already been like pre-vetted by an alumni. Okay. Or if you're a legacy of that sorority or if you have an in-house sister, like your older sister is two years older than you. She's already in that sorority. You go to the same college. You're pretty much a shoe in Okay. Or if your GPA is not high enough and you need to maintain a certain GPA to be able to go to events and stuff like that. I was like, okay, hold on. A recommendation letter? Like, you just got there. What the hell? I, I, yeah, no, it's insane because it's, it's like college admissions in, Mm -hmm. in the way that it really compounds privilege so quickly. Yeah. Like, only the privileged people will continue benefiting from their privilege. And like, exactly, you have to know someone who went to college already to Mm -hmm. know someone who's been in a sorority. Mm -hmm. That inherently 
wipes out anybody who's like a first-gen college student. Exactly. Completely. Exactly. Any efforts that you made to get into a certain university and any efforts that university might have to create a diverse student body can come to like a screeching halt if you're trying to join Greek life. And if being part of Greek life is really important for your school or you would be a part of a very important alumni network that could really help you out like you said other people's privilege is just going to keep getting compounded so it's like a new obstacle course of crap i don't know anyone that was in the sorority before now i don't have access to this Mm -mm. or if something happens that you're struggling in school and your gpa drops now i don't get to go to an event like that's there's like a punishment right it's like what if i am on a scholarship and while that covers part of my tuition, I still need to pay for my hundreds of dollars of textbooks. So I'm mm. working X number of hours at the like student package office. And that means that I don't have time to do my homework. And my scholarship is already in like threat of being taken away because my GPA is dropping. Like, let me go to fucking formal. Yeah. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, and if all of those things are true I, I, and all of those things are happening to you and you think, oh, thank God I'm part of this sisterhood. And instead of being there for you, (laughs) they're not. And I'm glad you brought up money because the dues thing really perplexed me. And I know there's like the stereotype that people are paying for friends. A lot of people that were very happy with their experience were saying that they felt like they were just giving their money towards building a community and that it was worth every penny. But ultimately, nothing is free. Your initial dues per semester, buying T-shirts, buying matching outfits for certain events, All these little things start adding up, which puts a huge obstacle for people who might not have a lot of expendable income. Mm -hmm. And if they do, maybe they don't want to spend it on a glittery (laughs) T-shirt. Like Maybe they want to save it for something else. And these dues can really set you back like several hundred dollars. And they're usually higher for the new members versus returning members. But a lot of them don't publicize how much the dues are to non-members even in the rushing process so you could go through this whole process have no idea how much you're gonna have to spend until you've been accepted now you're all excited about being accepted it's like oh yeah by the way you need to go buy this $800 dress and you need to give us $500 a semester and you need to go buy these t-shirts and 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 we're going on a group vacation like oh my god it's no it's a lot the social inclusion costs are so high at college in general at Georgetown in general and at Kappa and I actually remember so one thing that they did well is in the first night of recruitment they had a slideshow and they posted an itemized breakdown of your dues so we knew going in and that was super rare i don't know if other kappa chapters did that i appreciated it doesn't change the fact that they're prohibitively expensive doesn't change the fact that anyone in the room probably could have had sticker shock and walked out in tears Mm -hmm. but I, i do remember when i was on cc I was lobbying for a scholarship because I thought diversity was appalling in our organization and dues were prohibitively expensive. And I kept writing. I probably still have the emails. I should try and find them. (laughs) I kept writing to headquarters asking if we could do some sort of like fundraiser event for a scholarship. And they said no, because we're technically a nonprofit and we can't fundraise for ourselves. And I didn't, I, 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 there was some like technicality where they just dismissed me at hand. And I saw on Georgetown, Georgetown Kappa Instagram, right after the BLM protests that begun in like May and June of 2020, they now do scholarships. Mm -hmm. So it like, 
I'm glad they do now, but it's just like this was clearly a need, and like you only did it when it became like a PR problem, a PR stunt. Yeah, exactly. And it was just mm-hmm. like, okay. Yeah, I find it interesting that they said that too because I read about a couple schools that have scholarship funds, either through like alumni scholarship funds or other current members that will pay a little more to cover the people that can't pay the dues but this is very inconsistent across the board it's not something that you're going to find at every greek life institution but clearly it means it's possible it's not breaking the rules of being a nonprofit. So. right right that's the thing is i was like all of these like sigma chi or not sigma chi like sig ep is raising money for scholarships and i don't know how they did that mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and then again you have to pay to stay in the alumni network much less than when you're in school but you're still this whole lifelong payment thing felt weird to me as well Well, yeah and i don't know if you know this but there are some not georgetown um or not kappa but there are some organizations that charge you if you don't show up to the sunday meeting so you get like fined (laughs) yikes a clock yeah like you're literally charged money for like not showing up Mm. and that's another thing that's like I get wanting to incentivize involvement, but you shouldn't have to with fines. That's kind of weird, exactly. right? Like your organization should be good enough. All of these incentives are weird. The if your GPA drops, you can't go to certain things. If you don't show up to something, you get fined. It's just when you talk about, well, we're not paying for friends, and this really is a sisterhood. That's not how family works. So I don't know uh, what yeah. this is. No, it's super weird, and it's super ableist too. Like I've just been like. I'm not guaranteed to wake up feeling okay some days. And like, I'm not like, I had to miss one bid day because I have migraines with aura. I couldn't fucking see. Mm-hmm. And I was in bed wearing my outfit for bid day Aww. in bed with a migraine. And I have to, I mean, I don't remember what our like disincentivation was at Kappa, but I remember having to write a lot of formal emails and like talk my way out of disciplinary action. And I was like, I'm fucking sick. Like, oh my God. Like there were times I missed chapter because I was in the literal ER getting MRIs and I I just shouldn't, I shouldn't have to explain myself. Imagine if you miss brunch with your friends and they fine you because you were sick. I know. It's like, (laughs) are you fucking kidding me? Or you're in the the ER ER. during Thanksgiving and your family is like, fuck you. You owe us money. (laughs) Like, I'm already about to bankrupt myself on this fucking MRI because I'm so sick. Like, can you not? (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God. That's so upsetting. And with the diversity thing, that was a huge criticism that kept coming up of Greek Mm -hmm. life. That there seems to be a chronic problem with diversity within the chapters and in a couple videos that I was watching, there was one black student from Missouri State University that shared that there was virtually no diversity in his chapter and that he had to constantly be checking people about like racist comments that they made, which is nothing that like oh that's not God. what somebody should have to be doing. No diversity doesn't surprise me, but to feel like you're constantly having to correct people out of like stating explicitly racist things is just yeah, so much. It's exhausting and, and not somebody's responsibility Mm -mm. and there was another guy at emerson that said that his chapter was fairly diverse but it was kind of an anomaly because the school at large is not very diverse and the other fraternities didn't have that same diversity and then more notably i'm going to show you a video maybe you've seen it of a 2015 recruitment video from the university of alabama 
Alpha Phi. I have not. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it. So this video, let me send it to you. Should I be scared? I mean, it's just cringe as shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, it's very white. Very blonde. It's only white. <laughs> oh, slow-mo legs going up the stairs. <laughs> oh, they're beckoning to me. <laughs> they're like, come on in. Oh my god. There's some glitter, there's some meadows, there's some popsicles and sunflowers. The most fun ever. And it's a very, like, like, rave song. <laughs> I don't think I saw a single non-white girl, and I'm pretty sure I didn't see a single non-blonde white girl. Exactly. This video was yanked by the sorority because they got so much internet backlash. Obviously, from the video, you can tell that unless you're a thin white blonde girl, you're probably not going to make it in. And this came two years after the university had ordered like a change to the sorority system because it learned about how much racial discrimination was happening. And then they still posted this and then had to take it down because the internet was livid. This is when I'm just like, just blow it all up. Just, like, yeah. get yeah. some fucking DNT and blow this system up. Like, it's just, <laughs> the changes aren't, like, yeah. the Why are quote we still unquote, here? Yeah, the quote-unquote required changes, they're not doing anything. Like, you can't solve systems that benefit people of privilege with just slaps on the wrist. You mm-hmm. just can't. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to take it all away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just take it away. It's all PR. It's all fluff and lip service. And yeah. The university trying to cover its ass, the sororities and fraternities covering their asses, and no, nothing really changes. We're still hearing the same criticisms of these institutions. So this brings me into the hazing chapter. Oh, fuck yes. Let's go. So one of the first videos I watched, it was kind of disconcerting to me because the girl that was talking about this story was saying it almost as like a funny anecdote of something that happened. (gasps) Oh, oh, oh. They all talk about it as if it's like, oh, haha, this super funny thing. And it's like, that's trauma. I don't know what you're about to say, but I'm willing to bet it's traumatic. Uh, yes. So okay. <laughs> this Dartmouth student, she talked about these laws. But, okay, so Dartmouth is in New Hampshire, very close to the border with Vermont. Mm-hmm. And apparently in New Hampshire, it's legal to disrobe in public, like to change in public. But you can't stay naked in public. Okay. But in Vermont, you're allowed to be naked in public, but you can't take your clothes off in public. You just have to be nude. I don't know. I don't know. She. I can't that's imagine what, <laughs> what purpose either of those laws are serving, but okay. It, when she was saying it, I was like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And then I was thinking more about it. And I'm like, yeah, most laws don't make sense. They draw these arbitrary lines and you're like, wait, when did when was this like a problem? And this is when they decided... What prompted this? We're going to solve this. You can change. Like, how many seconds can you be naked between changing in New Hampshire before you get arrested? (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) So anyway, apparently Dartmouth had this river challenge where you'd be on the New Hampshire border. Mm. You'd take your clothes off because that's legal. And then you'd quickly jump into the river 
swim naked across the river to Vermont, where you can be nude, just emerge nude. And then you would run back to the border of New Hampshire and quickly put your clothes back on. And so that was like this river challenge. Okay. So this girl's talking about this. They are in the river. They're swimming. They're like, oh, my God, so funny. And then when they get to the middle of the river, this current picks up and it's this terrifying experience where the girls are like grabbing on each other, which is very dangerous. Don't do that. It's not a flotation device. You're going to drown someone. Okay. Everyone's in distress, freaking out. And then one of the girls was able to calm everyone down and be like, look, let's just float and ride this out and not fight it. And so they all miraculously made it safely to the other side. And then they saw some cop cars. And so they were like all naked hiding in the woods and like trying to get back to their clothes. And this all sounded very horror movie-esque to me. But she's like giggling about it. She was like, yeah, you know, it was kind of a near-death experience. But if near-death experiences aren't sisterhood, I don't know what is. Like you're not in the army. Like <laughs> it's nice that you bonded, but you shouldn't have had to bond that way. Yeah, no, I there are plenty of ways to bond, like watching the Incredibles. That does right. not include <laughs> near death. No. And I feel like it's almost a coping mechanism to be cheeky about it after because no one died. You can be like lighthearted about it. But you were just very lucky that nobody got hurt. And it wasn't like a near-death experience that sort of just happened to them and then you bond over it like oh my god we were at this thing and something horrible happened it's like right like we got stuck in this elevator for hours like no you jumped into a river you have no idea how safe yeah because you had to and you don't know how safe that is and and especially rivers and lakes it can be very difficult to see a current Mm -hmm. so you have no idea what you're getting Mm -hmm. into and then you're in the middle of the river New Hampshire on one side, Vermont on the other, nude, stressed, awful. But she's all lighthearted about it. Um, Mm. There was another student who didn't disclose her school or sorority, but mentioned that in one of the rushing things, they went to a frat party and they were asked specifically to prove their loyalty to the sorority to get naked and jump in the pool at this frat house with all these college guys. Um, hmm. And she refused and she was kicked out of the party. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) And she's like, I felt so worthless. And then came to my senses and was like, I don't want to be a part of a group of people that tell me to prove my loyalty. I have to become incredibly vulnerable and uncomfortable on like my first week of school, get naked in front of all these guys. What? Like, this is the thing is like, it's the language that is so manipulative. Like, prove your loyalty. If you were loyal to this sorority, you would do anything for them. You know what? If this fucking sorority was loyal to me, they wouldn't make me get fucking naked if I don't want to. Exactly. Right? Like, why is this so one-directional? And I always thought about that growing up when I would hear about these things. I was very confused about this dynamic of having these people do really awful things to you or say awful things to you. And then if you surmount that, now you're siblings. So weird. Like, why would I want to be sisters with someone who two seconds ago was treating me like absolute shit? How is that the prerequisite? No other relationship starts like that. uh, Hopefully. Then, as I'm sure we all know, binge drinking is a big problem. Mm -hmm. And there was a Harvard study that showed that, quote, while student binge drinkers tend to be male, white, and under 24 years old, the strongest predictor of binge drinking is fraternity or sorority residence or membership. Four out of five students in Greek organizations are binge drinkers compared to two out of five non-Greek students. And as a group, African-Americans and particularly women have the lowest prevalence of binge drinking. Wow. It's not surprising. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, the chicken or the egg. Like, is it that, like... (laughs) 
I know it depends on the school, but is it that people who just want to get fucked up all the time are more likely to join organizations like this? Or is it that once you're in there, you feel so pressured to do so, especially during rush or recruitment or whatever this Mm -hmm. organization is calling it at the time? Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's a mix of both, but I'm sure there's a little bit of both, but I think what makes me lean a little more towards Greek life encouraging it is that college students drink regardless. And so if you're, it's not like nobody drinks and everyone that is in Greek life drinks. And maybe that meant that they were more likely to be drinkers in general. Mm -hmm. So people are drinking and it's just these environments that pressure you to binge drink specifically. That's what makes it feel like the environment is very conducive to that. And since alcohol is so involved in the hazing process and Mm -hmm. a lot of the benefit or the appeal of sororities and fraternities is the party aspect. There's so much drinking involved Mm -hmm. at these places that makes it seem more likely that you're just going to keep indulging and indulging and indulging all the time, every weekend, all these challenges and games and rituals and whatever makes kids more prone to binge drink especially with this like need to belong yeah and fit in you don't want to be the one out of five that's like i don't drink at the frat party and you're like you're a fucking loser you know right yeah or you'll get kicked out of the party i remember my first real kappa event as like a member of this chapter was this like golf drinking game where they set up a bunch of different apartments it's not actual golf. Yeah, I was but... going to say golf. What? <laughs> it's not a very drinky sport. Like, it's so slow. <laughs> we were not golfing, thank God, because I could not imagine anything more boring in the world. I, there's a lot of golf slander by me on this podcast, I think. I think I called it frivolous the last time we were chatting, but anyway. A good walk spoiled. <laughs> but basically, they set up a lot of different apartments with themes. So maybe your apartment is the shots apartment and maybe my apartment is a margarita's apartment and maybe someone else's and you just go around the 18 holes and you have to do a drink at each one and then whoever finishes first wins golf or whatever the fuck it is the one who finishes first wins an (laughs) er visit yeah (laughs) and oh god i i think that that was a mixer with a fraternity and so it, it felt like because it was our first event and it was with this fraternity and we were underclassmen and it did feel like there was an element of pressure. But I am also, again, as someone who just physically can't hang in the same way that other people can or might try to, I like tapped out, I think, after the first spot because I was like, I, I, can I do a shot, a margarita, a mojito and a beer like in the next 30 minutes? There's no fucking way. But it shouldn't be like physical limitations that talk no. me down from that. It should be no. like, no, this just isn't fun. You know what I mean? No. And that's what should talk you out of it. Or you shouldn't be put in that position in the first place. You know what I also hate about drinking culture is that you get shamed for not drinking a lot, but you also get shamed for getting drunk. Yes. And so it's like, okay, you want me to drink <sighs> a ton of alcohol. But if I get drunk after the mojito, the shot, the margarita, the beer, mixing all these alcohols, immense quantities, I'm suddenly sloppy and you can't can't handle your liquor. You can't handle your liquor. It's like "Mm, I can handle a normal amount of liquor. Mm -hmm. But when you're it's not even like a personal failure, your blood alcohol. It's a it's a physiological thing. And I find it so funny when people 
respond that way or like with your sometimes I've been in groups of friends where we're drinking and the plan is like hey come over we'll have drinks and everyone's drinking and everyone's tolerances are different and somebody will get a little drunk and then the rest of the group will kind of be like oh my god you're so drunk and I'm Mm -hmm. like well what what are we doing here we're drinking like what did you expect (laughs) was gonna happen why is she like so lame so we're supposed to drink and expect no reaction from our bodies then what's what are we doing it feels like the only (sighs) common denominator is the pressure or the Mm -hmm. shame it's just Mm -hmm. like we're gonna shame you into doing something and we're gonna shame you for the reaction you have to this thing that you just did Mm -hmm. that we made you do like that's the only common denominator yeah and i think since there is so much shame shame and misinformation i think about getting really drunk slash what can happen if you get really drunk I do have a little bit of empathy of sometimes it can be hard to tell when it's an emergency situation Mm -hmm. because it can look kind of the same when someone's really drunk and they just need to throw up and drink some water and go to bed as we need to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I think especially if other people around you are drinking, it can be hard to tell if you've been in that position before and you're like, oh, I felt what you're feeling. Just throw up. You'll feel fine tomorrow. And you're a kid and you don't really know, you're not a doctor, you don't know what the telltale signs are or whatever. I can see why accidents can happen, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to talk about a couple instances that I think do not fall in that spot of you just didn't know better. That gray area, right. So there was one moment or one instance, 2018, Florida State University, where five students pled guilty and went on to serve jail time for involuntary manslaughter after a 20-year-old Andrew Coffey died of alcohol poisoning while pledging. And, like, they pled guilty. Like, they were fully aware that the amount of alcohol they gave this kid killed him. Oh. And then this other story that was... So just brace yourself because it was very horrible for me to read this. Penn State University... 2017 penn state is notoriously one of those schools where you need to be in greek life you're going to be a loser blah 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 Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure and a lot of horrible experiences some of which i've heard anecdotally and terrified the shit out of me this kid tim piazza he was a sophomore rushing beta theta pi okay they do all sound the the same (laughs) i know i'm always concerned that i'm pronouncing those incorrectly but that sounded forgive me if i am (laughs) um there is a hazing obstacle course called the gauntlet similar to what it seems you're talking about this golfing thing yeah in which you had to drink from a bottle of vodka then drink a beer and then drink from a bag of wine i don't know how much of the vodka and wine he had to drink but he was also taking antidepressants so that added to the inebriation Mm. and he fell kind of down the basement stairs and was knocked unconscious and everyone around him just like carried him to a couch and just laid him on the couch and continued partying and some people were a little concerned wait after he fell down the stairs yes some people were concerned like maybe he's hurt but three frat members were like prohibiting witnesses from calling 911 and like downplaying it in the group chat and being like he's fine he stumbled a little like he's just fucked up leave him on the couch and this was like kind of early in the night then he sort of regains consciousness and like rolls off the couch and like can't hold himself up and they strapped a backpack to him like a heavy backpack so that he wouldn't roll onto his back and choke on his own vomit Mm -hmm. and this is like a common thing that they would do Mm -hmm. so it's like you know he's very intoxicated and you're concerned that he could throw up and choke And so instead of like helping him or like if you need to make sure somebody's sitting up 
or not or like lying on the couch in a way that they can't roll over like maybe take him to get some sort of like hydration iv or something you know like i don't right. know because because that inherently means that you think if you don't take this even small action death is in the picture exactly like yeah it's and bad when, it's bad enough exactly and when they were doing that another frat brother saw that he was getting this like big welt on his head from the fall and was like bro <sighs> we gotta call 911." and when he tried to call 911, one of the other guys that had been like telling people not to like shoved him across the room they were like pushing people up against the walls like getting really aggressive and the poor guy like keeps kind of coming in and out of consciousness he woke up again and tried multiple times to like stand up and go towards the lobby like leave the house and he fell head first into an <gasps> iron railing and then onto the stone floor <gasps> then tried to get up again fell against a door like kept trying to get up falling getting up falling increasing his like head trauma and no one's doing anything about this and this is like still during the night it's not until 10 a.m the next day that they find him like lying on the ground, cold, heavy breathing. And then they still spend like another 45 minutes just trying to get him up and then finally call 911. Did he make it? No. They rush him into surgery. This is like a 19-year-old young fit individual. He was so messed up from his injuries that even though he was an organ donor, they only could recover one kidney. Oh my god. Like horrible and then the police found a lot of evidence of like a cover-up like texts from the boys saying get rid of having any evidence of alcohol delete the group chat so that none of the messages that we were sending will show up on the now deceased kid's phone like horrifying holy fuck and this happened in 2017 and this was like in tw- in 2009 the fraternity was supposed to be alcohol free like they were suspended <gasps> because of other incidents and then this kid died and everyone was saying like this was definitely one of those schools where you need to be a part of this and so there's so much pressure to have a good experience for the next four years this kid died trying to have friends and these people that are supposed to be your brothers in two minutes killed you and like i don't know i mean i obviously don't know what catalyzed him taking antidepressants but it definitely sounds like he I don't know. Like, he's yeah. definitely struggling emotionally. It doesn't sound like being at a school like this is easy to ignore the peer pressures if you're already in some kind of potentially compromised emotional state. Like, you're you're not necessarily going to be able to be like, mm, I can ignore the pressures of Greek life. Yeah. Not everyone feels like they can ignore that. Most people don't. And, yeah. again, this, this goes back to the slaps on the wrist aren't going to fix a broken system. Mm-hmm. Telling someone in 2009 that they're supposed to be alcohol-free doesn't prevent the kid from dying in 2017. Yeah, especially when it's a whole new class of people. They're like, I've been looking forward to being in a fraternity for years. So the 2009 kid's fucked up. It's 2017, new time. I'm not worried about that shit. Right, right. And that pressure, that PR pressure of don't call a 911. What is that going to look like? We're going to get in trouble because we're supposed to be alcohol free. It's going to be another story of a fraternity having a problem. He'll be fine. Leave it alone. To the point that they were looking out for that so much that this kid literally died. And what's so upsetting is that, like, if you were an organization that knew you were not responsible for coercing dangerous amounts of alcohol consumption, then you could very easily call 911. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to hide group chat texts because 
you wouldn't have been doing anything fucking shady. This dude would have just gotten too drunk and he was also taking antidepressants and mm-hmm. that's not your fault and you're looking out for him because exactly. you're his brother. You care. Yeah. yeah. But you can't call 911 when you know that you're doing fucking shady shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this example took the turn for me with the backpack thing because I could see a situation where I'm walking with a friend, they trip, they fall, and you're like, oh my God, get up, let's go. And you don't realize, but if someone's knocked unconscious down a flight of stairs, that's like, all right. I mean, if like, if it was unclear to someone what happened and they're like, oh, you're just drunk, sleep it off. But then if you're like putting a backpack on them, they start getting a welt. It's very clear that they hit them, their head. They're like unconscious for hours and hours, like in and out, falling over. And there's, I didn't try to look for it because I didn't want to see it, but there's like video cameras of a lot of this. There's no room for Ugh. error. Not I feel for me. Like. like when the welt appears, yeah. And it's if you're like, conscious, okay, he fucking hit his head. And it's not like, oh, everybody else was so out of their mind drunk. If you're conscious enough to tell people not to call nine one one, to throw people across the room, to want to delete group chats and hide all the alcohol, all that stuff, like if you're sober enough for that, you're sober <laughs> enough to dial three numbers. It's three. easy for a reason. Yeah. Oh. oh my god. So that was that horrifying story. Then there was another incident at Yale where Delta Kappa Epsilon, if I'm pronouncing Epsilon correctly. Yes, you are. Um, in 2010, I don't know if you heard about this one. I heard about it in a documentary where pledges stood blindfolded on campus chanting, no means yes, yes means anal. What? Yeah. Wait, is this a sorority or a fraternity? A fraternity. Oh my fucking God oh yeah oh yeah okay and they like apologized and the fraternity was temporarily suspended another slap on the wrist Mm -hmm. but then there was like an additional internal investigation and there was a lot of pressure from a separate investigation at yale of sexual harassment complaints that had been made with like the u.s department of education for civil rights and so the dean ended up like suspending the fraternity for five years, mm. which again, I'm like, okay, five years, then there's a the okay. new crew or whatever. And there was all this backlash that it was like a free speech infringement to. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> but Yale was like, uh, this is harassment. There was coercion and intimidation to make these kids do this. And you're like putting in peril the integrity and values of this Ivy league school by yelling this disgusting shit. But there was all this pushback of like, this is free speech. You're allowed to say whatever the fuck you want. You can say (laughs) no means yes. Yes means anal. But it's like uh, free speech is weaponized in like the worst possible times. I feel like because it's like, but what about the pledge? She was like, I don't want to say no means yes. Yes means anal. And they're like, shut the fuck up. Like, put your blindfold on and say it. How free is this speech? Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's this is like, this is if there's a group of blindfolded people chanting this disgusting thing, it's. I feel like we can dig a little deeper than being like, well, they should be allowed to say whatever the fuck they want. Like, yeah. Um, like maybe that's not the biggest problem in this. Yeah. There's situation. a lot going on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other fraternity that across the board, all its chapters, basically, or maybe not all its chapters, but it, it's Many. like the most problematic fraternity. It's called Sigma Alpha Epsilon. So S-A-E, colloquially referred to as sexual assault expected. Oh. That's lovely. Lovely. Incredibly troubling. <laughs> it has its roots in the antebellum South. 
and has had many accusations of racist chanting, racist comments, and like parties themed like like a Christmas party that was themed Christmas party, like gang themed parties. Okay. <laughs> That's not even fun. Like, no. Have you heard of anything but clothes where you wear like sleeping bags and flags? Like, that's fun. Try yeah, that. That's fun. <laughs> Try an ABC party. party. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, the Yale chapter was accused of having a white girls only policy at parties. What? Yeah, where there was like a line of girls waiting to get into a party, and the guys would go down and like pick out the white girls and take them out of line. <laughs> what? The University of Oklahoma <sighs> chapter had a viral video of members singing a racist song on a party bus. Oh, I I think I've heard about that. That was in 2015, and so was the white girls only thing. Also in 2015, the Stanford chapter was indefinitely kicked off of its like on-campus house and put on probation after three separate incidents. One, where they deterred a female student from reporting a Title IX concern. Great. One where they cyberbullied a student that they thought had reported a Title IX concern. Oh, good. And several, like, alcohol-related violations. This is what's frustrating, is, like, I think all of these end up being talked about as isolated incidents, but it's, like, this organization, this SAE organization, not only are there multiple incidents across chapters, but within chapters. Like, it doesn't take an, like, a brilliant person to do some basic pattern recognition this is the same fraternity having also university of connecticut 2014 they were banned they banned the fraternity for five years after a party in which they had the sorority girls drink alcohol then lie on the ground and pretend to sizzle like bacon i don't even know what the fuck that means how would you pretend to do that (laughs) i don't even know like what Cornell, 2011, a student died after a hazing ritual in which they kidnapped him, bound him with zip ties, and forced him to drink. His blood alcohol level was five times the legal limit when he died. (gasps) Okay, okay, okay. This is is still SAE that we're talking about? This is still SAE. Last fact about them, they had nine deaths due to drinking between 2006 and 2013, more than any other Greek organization. So why do they exist? I don't know. Brotherhood? Community? Network? What? <laughs> and, like, I know it's not interesting or compelling to listen to me, a white girl, be shocked about their profoundly racist practices and them still being allowed to exist despite their profoundly racist practices. But I just feel like it's worth mentioning that this is so ubiquitous, this kind yeah. of bullshit that we let mediocre white Men and white women and white everyone get away with. It's so disgusting. And Mm -hmm. there's so much momentum behind these organizations. And I feel like they're so... 18 U.S. presidents, both Democrat and Republican, have been in fraternities. Oh, my God! Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, it's this kind of thing where we're, like, really willing to turn a blind eye in a way that we are with a lot of racist institutions. Mm -hmm. But it's just, like... It's it's worth noting that this shit is pervasive at, like, every level, even quote-unquote social organizations at mm-hmm. undergrad universities. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a lot of these examples that I've given are at very elite, hard-to-get-into schools that already have a lot of mm. 
you know, like elitist ways of getting in based on what mm-hmm. high school you went to, if your family went there, if you're white. Then there's the elitist practice of getting into these fraternities and sororities. So now you're part of the most elite of the elite. And this is how you're behaving. And then you get into this network of people that are the most elite of the elite in the job market. And so it feels like this funnel of bad behavior that is never checked and it's part of being part of the community and so it's like it's not oh okay you were 18 you made a mistake that shouldn't impact that you get a job 10 years later it's like no this is pervasive behavior that keeps happening that's encouraged that's part of being a cool dude that gets you clout and you get to laugh about it at an alumni event with some other guy of like oh that bullshit that like fucking Mm -hmm. richard did like no it's (laughs) in my day we did this shit like oh my god in my day we did this shit i can't because it goes back that far and it's this pattern of being conditioned to think consequences do not affect you because you have generations before you that are looking out for you that are getting you jobs who also intimidated women out of reporting sexual assault Mm -hmm. and so they don't care that you intimidated women out of reporting sexual Mm -hmm. assault and they don't care that this dude's blood alcohol content is five times the legal limit because they did the same shit and they also hit it and consequences don't matter because they have enough money to buy people off and donate their way into schools and get the recommendation letter they need to get into Harvard and whatever fraternity and so consequences don't matter for generation after generation yeah and the longer you get away with something the more you kind of push the limits you know if I got away with this I can get away with the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and if no one's standing in your way then people die on your watch like it's really fucked up right right it's just like you're making a game out of going as far as you can go which is obnoxious and dangerous Mm -hmm. totally and per a word that you used earlier Mm -hmm. i have not finished the book i'm a couple hours away from finishing it in the audiobook but audra and i both are big fans of this book word slut and Mm -hmm. now the same author came out with a book called cultish Mm -hmm. and it's all about language and it's really fucking cool highly recommend in the first like 40 minutes of the audiobook she gives this anecdote or not anecdote an example where she says that in 1959 this southern california cult had this initiation ritual where they had these young people eat a combination of pig's head fresh brains and raw liver and that one of the people being initiated into this cult kept vomiting up the food but was so desperate to pass this test that they choked on a piece of liver and died before they could get them to the hospital and no criminal charges were filed because this was not a cult it was a fraternity at usc surprise surprise (laughs) so but also not surprising (laughs) at all exactly (laughs) So after, you know, being close to finishing this book, I was thinking a lot about the cult-ish aspects of Greek life and where they really match up with behavior that we see in mainstream cults that everyone's okay with calling a cult. And Greek life is something that is probably more controversial to call a little bit culty. But there were some strong similarities and part of it what we touched on earlier of like being this blank slate Mm -hmm. that can be easily molded into the group these punishments for not being representative of the group in the way that they want you to be Mm -hmm. telling you it's for your own good not for the safety of maintaining power structures all that stuff started to be like "Mm -hmm." 
<laughs> yeah. The bells are ringing. <laughs> so some of the stuff that Mana Montel, the author of Cultish, talks about as like traits of cults really lined up. So one of them was love bombing. Yes. So right when you're kind of starting, making you feel super special, making you feel really excited and lifting you up and feel amazing for wanting to join. And like on bid day, like the new members who got bids will show up and you're like, the love bombing is insane mm-hmm. and you give them so much merch and you're like clapping for them. And you're like, yeah, like, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's insane. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Mm-hmm. I wish you could have seen bid day. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish I, I'm, you're like, I'm glad I did You're it. like, I'm glad I did I'm it. good. I'm all set. <laughs> um, but that's like a huge way to get people really excited about these cults. Like when we think of, oh my God, why would anybody join this? When we find out about shitty things happening in a cult, that's like years after these initial mm-hmm. things. They don't out the gate. Nobody comes up to you like, hey, do you want to be in a sex trafficking thing? Like nobody says that. <laughs> they lure right. you in in different ways and then they up the stakes. And now suddenly you're in the situation that was not what you thought you were in at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So this is a very common tactic. Another very common tactic is using special language to make you feel like you're part of an exclusive, you get each other, other people don't get it, Mm -hmm. like I'm part of this community. And even you earlier talking about the potential new members, recruits or, or members or whatever, and you're like your acronym, like that kind of thing that if you just said that acronym to me, I'd have no idea what you were talking about, but somebody that was in a sorority totally would. And you have this way of talking to each other that no longer reflects how other people talk outside of it. And there's this jargon. And so now you're like continuously getting enveloped and language serves to make us feel that way, make us feel safe, make us feel like we have this way of communicating that's unique and makes us feel like we belong. Yeah. And I mean, that's, just the beginning of it right like i'm not Mm -hmm. also telling you all of our whatever like latin songs and passwords to get into formal chapter and the secret Mm -hmm. handshake like there's a step above that and i think some people sort of participate ironically and they're kind of like this is annoying but i'm here for the organization and i'll participate but yeah it's not just the things that are publicly talked about like pnms and recruitment or rush and pledges it's also shit like we have calls and responses in other languages and that's fucking crazy yeah you would know that i would not (laughs) um and when we hear about cults and how they have all these secret codes and they talk in different languages we're like "Ooh, that's sketch Mm -hmm. and that's happening on college campuses all the time and we think all the time and then the whole initiation ritual even besides the hazing but especially the hazing not only proves as this weird source of loyalty like how far are you willing to go for us which is if you need to prove loyalty to someone by putting yourself in harm's way, I would have questions about like their nefarious intent. Like if this is all gung-ho, sisterhood, whatever, why do you need to know that I would potentially drown in a river for you or I would get hospitalized with alcohol poisoning for you? Like why do you need that? And like why am I less dutiful a friend and or sister if I don't go swimming naked? Like I just don't get it. And like before my initiation, we had I don't remember what it's called it's like I week or something like so, uh, more language but for the week leading up again super hetero and weird but like they're like you're not allowed to be seen with boys <laughs> the week before initiation or out partying mm. and my I week my boyfriend was visiting he and I did long distance for four years and 
I mean, sorry, I'm going to see my fucking boyfriend. Like, I see him once every eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was like, that was very hard. Mm-hmm. And long distance is hard. And so you're supposed to spend, like, the night before initiation with your sisters. And I was like, absolutely the fuck not. Like, Andrew's here. I'm going to yeah. go home and, like, sit with a boyfriend that I see for two nights every two months. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I'm less loyal, but... It was like, yeah, all of these weird stipulations that like are ultimately so arbitrary and meaningless, mm-hmm. but like they made you feel like you were morally inferior or just like so undedicated if you like broke these stupid rules. Mm-hmm. And then we had to get up at like fucking 6 a.m. for initiation and walk to this church and dress in all white and do mm. this Latin. Like it was so, so, so much. Yeah. And if you're not first and foremost loyal to the sorority or fraternity it's a problem like why do you need to be the most important thing in my life what do you why do you need this from me yeah yeah that's true too like why can't my boyfriend matter equally i mean he matters a lot more but for example (laughs) why couldn't he matter equally why couldn't i be like you know what i want to see him tonight and i don't want disciplinary action to be taken against me so yeah and not yeah not being allowed to have political or religious views also feels like your loyalty is with us not with some political party not with some religion i don't want to hear that you need to go do some religious obligation when we have things that we need you to do like this is your creed your family your whole thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's pretty culty to me yeah i also feel like the hazing stuff could be potential blackmail you know like depending on what you do they could hold that over you. And so now you have a different level of loyalty as well because if you don't want to rub anyone the wrong way. You don't want to risk them telling anybody about something you may have done to get into this club. So that is also a tactic that's used a lot in cults of threatening you with something. I'm not saying that people are threatening them, but like making you do something that you would not want other people to know and that would make you fall in line. Mm-hmm much easier because you have something to lose i also feel like it's a little multi-level marketing in the fact that they recruit you and then also use you to recruit more people yeah so there's always a source of bringing people in and keeping the cycle going the fact that you need to pay is also pretty cultish like lots of cults make you pay for things make you pay and work like do things for them mm-hmm. and also be paying them and not them paying you. And I understand this is a nonprofit, but <laughs> um, it's just kind of weird that you have to pay for the rest of your life, even when you're done, like enjoying the benefits more directly. Even if you have the network, it's still kind of like, how often do you reach out to alumni people throughout the year? Like once you have a job, you're kind of not reaching out to people. And then when you're looking to change, maybe so like maybe every couple of years Mm -hmm. I have to pay for this. Like, why can't I just shoot someone an email? Right, right. I one time shot a lot of (laughs) Kappas that I found on this distro list in my account online, an email because I was fundraising for breast cancer research. My mom had had breast cancer the year before and she and I were doing a bike ride. And I promptly got emails like, you're not allowed to use this to raise money. And I was like, then what the fuck am I here for? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, wh- like you, you can't even shoot people an email. Like, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's whatever. It's so stupid. Yeah. Um, there are all these rules and, and of st- being in good standing with the group. Also very reminiscent of a cult and the internal cover ups and the defensiveness of problematic behavior and wanting to make sure that being so preoccupied with the world seeing you in a good light and not having that confidence that we were talking about earlier of like, I know that we have a strong foundation. 
this is an anomaly or this is a one-time isolated event. If you're this defensive and this controlling, what are you hiding? Mm -hmm. And I know, I'm not sure if you were going to touch on this, but another thing that feels kind of like a culty aspect is the exit costs. Like you beyond maybe feeling like you'll lose friends or your only network of people, which for me is a high exit cost. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes you have to pay to leave. Mm -hmm. And I, that's like a literal cost. And I don't know because I did not leave during my time at Georgetown, but I'm pretty sure that like, if you want to leave, there is some price tag. Mm -hmm. And being kind of excommunicated. Now you don't have access to any of this. Mm -hmm. It's just weird. Like why... Again, like what we were talking about with being fined for not showing up to weekly chapter meetings on Sunday nights. Mm -hmm. For me, I was doing long distance. And so I couldn't always make chapter. Like sometimes I was in Boston on weekends. It's and not everyone can do shit on Sunday. Like the incentivization or incent, I don't know how to say that word, but the incent structure is so backwards because it really illuminates the fact that people aren't going to show up just because they want to. They're going to show up because they want to avoid the cost and they're going to stick around and not quit because they want to avoid paying the exit cost. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So recently in 2020 with the pandemic, there's been a recent movement. I'm sure that there have been efforts at this in the past, but I was finding a lot of info on this right now of an abolish Greek life movement. Okay. And it kind of came about around the pandemic because I think not being able to participate and all the social capital mm-hmm. kind of made people feel like the dues were harder to justify and really what am I getting out of this and students were also citing that there's just so much racist misogynistic exclusionary behavior that seems to be quite prevalent like across the board and it's a hierarchical system that's very hard to reform like you were saying of like slapping on the wrist and you think something's going to change it won't because it's a national organization and the chapters even if you shut down one chapter at one school they're going to survive because there's plenty of chapters elsewhere and there's a lot of incentives financial incentives for universities not to get rid of greek life because it's a whole network of alumni that will donate and on average alumni of greek organizations donate more money than regular alumni oh good so there's more like there's a more emotional a stronger emotional tie to the school so yeah of course the school's like i'm not gonna really get rid of this like money bucket that i have here so this movement sprung up at vanderbilt university university of richmond duke emory northwestern university of north carolina many students started dropping out of their sororities and fraternities And the governing panel of sororities at Tufts decided to halt the rushing process for fall of 2020. I don't know if they've reestablished it for this fall to, quote unquote, like reflect on the problematic aspects of Greek life. And there have been multiple colleges, like well-known elite schools like Swarthmore, Colby and Williams that have completely disbanded Greek life in the past so it's not unprecedented like you it it can be done and it can be done at places that stand to lose and there's historical precedent of students leaving greek life on mass it happened also during the civil rights movement a lot of students rejected greek life because it represented like a lot of reactionary politics and racism and so there were a lot of students that left but that also makes me a little 
less hopeful, I guess, about this movement that if about during the lasting civ- power, exactly, because once again, the power of the national organization. And like I said, it's like very deeply ingrained in American college culture. If 18 presidents have been in frats and there have been like multiple documentaries and books that have come out about the problematic aspects. Like, I don't know if you ever watched that documentary, The Hunting Ground. No, it's I think from like, I don't know what year it was from, but Lady Gaga did a song for it. Um, oh, but it's about like sexual assault on college campuses. Mm. It mentioned that Yale incident. There's also a book about the sketchy ass fraternity that we talked about earlier called True Gentleman, The Broken Promise of America's Fraternity. And that's because Sigma Alpha Epsilon's creed is the true gentleman. Oh, God. <laughs> gross. Or Know My Name, the memoir by Chanel Miller. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. read it, but it's really great. Yes. Um, and she talks about her experience being raved outside of rap party by Brock Turner. So there's just so many issues that we keep seeing. And like I said at the top of the episode, I understand that we're going to get news about the shitty things and that there are plenty of people that feel like they got a lot out of this. But also with all the culty references, I also take it a little bit with a grain of salt of Mm -hmm. people within this system feeling good about it and maybe why they feel good about it and what other powers are at play. Totally. I think there is... Something that Amanda Montel brings up in Cultish is, like, loss aversion. Like, just a a lot of different sort of social psych phenomena that govern our understanding of our experiences, especially in retrospect. And people with, like, sunk cost fallacy and loss aversion, which I think are kind of, they kind of go hand in hand. But you need to justify having spent as much of your time and as much of your life and as Mm -hmm. much as your, uh, as much of your youth in this organization to yourself. So you're going to convince yourself that it was worth your while, even if you almost died in a river, like Mm -hmm. you just have to. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that if it's also very privileged stance, because I'm sure that if you are one of the girls in that video that we saw that are, beautiful white girls that are going to be the ones put forward to recruit and get to organize things and never really have a lot of pushback or bad experiences because of the color of their skin or the way they look or whatever it is, how much money they have. Like, I'm sure if that's your demographic, you're probably having a great time. Like, it sounds like you're just living it up. So sure, you had a great time, but think about the context that allowed you to have that great time. Mm-hmm. And are there not other ways to be a rich white girl having fun trips with her friends that don't involve being part of a system that is so oppressive in so many ways and problematic in so many ways? Right. So, like you could just have a movie night with like people of different income brackets. Yeah. And like, that's also fun. <laughs> and like, you will find the same people that are in these organizations, you will find them and you will be their friend. And it doesn't need to be part of this regimented system with rules and who can you talk to and what are you allowed to believe in and what can you post on Instagram and what boy are you allowed to be seen with and what party do you have to go to and what slutty dress and blah, blah, blah. Like you could just take all those rules away and just have a regular ass normal friendship and live your life. Right. So as we close out, I guess, where do you stand on, like, do you think Greek life is obsolete? Do you think it still plays, like, it still can have a role in the college experience in Mm. a different way? Do you feel like reform is possible within this system? Or how Mm. do you kind of feel about the the cost-benefit analysis? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think the way I think about it now is so different than when I was in college. 
I know I mentioned earlier having evolved my views on like health and wellness, but I think something else that has evolved a lot is also my own personal feminism. And I think at the time I was a feminist. And when I was a education chair, I gave a presentation on like different feminists one chapter just because I was like, these are our feminist icons, like da da da. And it was more of the hashtag girl boss brand of feminism at the time. And I think mm-hmm. part of why I, in the moment, appreciated Kappa was because I was like, they made, the founders made this all women space when we were previously boxed out of fraternities. And so I liked the idea that, all right, we're just going to be badass bitches and make a space for ourselves, But now I think something you and I talk about a lot is like, you can't solve patriarchy with patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're Sheryl Sandberg having a firm handshake and leaning in whatever the fuck else you're doing by exploiting the labor of other demographics and other income brackets to get your children taken care of while both you and her now deceased husband like worked and whatever, like, however, I don't know. Like that's, that's not feminism. That's not lifting as you climb. Right. That's just Mm -hmm. like further oppressing people and trying to be a C-suite exec using masculine professionalism to further alienate and marginalize other people. And so Mm -hmm. I think that it feels now to me like, the college system is broken in many ways and the fraternity system is broken in many ways. And like women joining it didn't make it better. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can't solve this broken system with mimicking it. You can't solve Mm -hmm. fraternities with sororities. You can't solve patriarchy Mm -hmm. with like girl boss feminism. Mm -hmm. And I am grateful for the little that I have that I met and I saw yesterday and I'm still in touch with, and we read hood feminism just like you and I did. Mm -hmm. Um, She read it and she just finished invisible women, which I'm working on. And I love that I have that person, but it wasn't like I wouldn't have met her otherwise. And I don't Mm -hmm. think I needed the coercive golf alcohol parties in the meantime. And Mm -hmm. the like guilt over seeing my boyfriend a couple Sunday nights. Mm -hmm. Um, So All in all, I think that the damage is pretty profound, and I'm not sure the benefits reaped are things you can't get elsewhere. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think you put it very eloquently, and I think I just, I do agree that I think that there, all the benefits can be found elsewhere in groups that will bring you that sense of sisterhood with a lot more grace, a lot more empathy, a lot more room to be not a photocopy of another person, but really your own unique self and that you can thrive in community and be a part of something without having to be exactly like everyone in it. And without having to pay. (laughs) Without having to pay. And especially in the schools where it really matters socially to be a part of one, I think it would be really beneficial to not have them there because... Then you would have more options of what kind of group you want to be a part of and how you want to build your friendships. So I know this is all coming from somebody that didn't participate in this, but I think also since it's a very unique American structure, like every other country, people go to college and have friends and you join maybe a club specific about like an interest that you have or something. And the rules are not this intense and you can be a little bit more fluid. So Mm -hmm. given the like the fact that there are groups or the fact that there are instances where people are dying in an effort to be a part of this 
that I'm just like, okay, so uh, you can't really talk now. Like, it's just, you can't, and nobody should, nobody's dying at chess club. So like, <laughs> you know, right. And that's what I was going to say is I don't want to discount the fact that making friends as an adult and as a student is really hard. Like it can be super hard. Yeah. I just think we're all because of the blind eye that has been turned toward these organizations and the traditionalism and the respect and honor we give them just because of how old they are, relatively old, Mm -hmm. we're overlooking how elitist and controlling and manipulative it is. And as a result, we just think this is the best option to finding friends. And it can be hard to weigh your options more objectively when making friends is so hard and you just think this is like the obvious choice and you've heard about it and you know like a fraternity is a brotherhood like you just you kind of know that or you think that and so it's hard to think like well maybe I should work as a barista at a coffee shop and meet friends there maybe I should join a storytelling club or chess club or like a kickball team like it just it, it feels maybe easier there's lower activation energy to just show up to fraternity recruitment and so all of this to say I don't want to discount how hard it is to make friends but I'm with you that death shouldn't be part of the equation here like Mm -hmm. the risk of death and dues and controlled instagrams like that doesn't need to be a part of making friends Mm -hmm. yeah and i think like the way i'm seeing it is really not a criticism of everyone that's ever joined a sorority fraternity is a fucking like manipulated loser like i don't i think this is a system that was that we can just see it as like an experiment in community at colleges this was a system that was implemented by people that died centuries ago that worked for them and we kept going and maybe it just doesn't work anymore. I totally get why somebody would join these groups and why they continue to join and people that have wonderful experiences. But if there are ways to improve the lifestyle of being on campus and the if we can find other ways to create these lifelong bonds and lifelong networks that we can keep thriving in the workforce, we spend most of our time in the workforce, not in college. So if there are ways that we can connect with people that can help us out along the way, I'm all for that. I just think that there's a different way to do this that doesn't involve the current paradigm. Are you asking me to start a club with you? Because I will. <laughs> Is this not our club? <laughs> um, we just, we should start recruitment tomorrow. <laughs> matching outfits, matching you dresses. Gotta pay. <laughs> Hit us up on Patreon. I'm just kidding. Anyway, yeah. Thank you for going on this expedition with me. And I was very pleased to find out that you... We're in one and could bring us your insight. So I'm an expert, it seems. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for taking me down memory lane. Culture Calendar is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn. 